You brought a uh -oh. story? I just read a story. September 8th, 2021. This is Rare Encounter, encounter number 61. And microwaving the bananas. I'm Abel Kirby. And counting the fingers and toes on my left hand, I'm Ryan Bemrose. Ah, uh, this is great. We're back for another great episode of Rare Encounter. And you can heave, if, you, if it behooves you, you can heave right now. But I did just open a White Claw. Ah, <laughs> uh, White Claw? White Claw. Wow, okay. Uh. Well, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back to the well, the old standby. Ah. Uh. That didn't even make a hiss. I have a Wildcraft Cider Works Medlar Cider. Aha. Uh -huh. From, I don't even know where this is from. <laughs> you, know, uh, you know where it's going. Somewhere though. in Oregon. Mm. I know where it's going. And, and I know where it's going to be after the show, too. <laughs> Man, you got a move named after you. I was listening to Behind the Schemes uh, yesterday. Uh, was it yesterday? It was earlier this week. I think they recorded. Uh, it was that or Monday. Anyway, they. <laughs> oh, yeah. Someone in the middle goes, yeah, I got a Bemrose now. <laughs> I think, think blueberries. Yeah. yeah, we gotta go to break. I got a Bemrose. Oh yeah, he's like, do we, can we do an intermission now? Because I got a Bemrose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we'll see how I'm doing after uh, after the show here. I mean, I've got kind well, of the uh, this show here on this show. We we do have an advantage, which is that uh, we're pretty consistently at around the one hour mark. And uh, I tell you what, I've guessed it on a few other shows recently where they're like, oh, we're just gonna keep talking indefinitely right and <laughs> so we're if nothing else we're respectful of the listener's time as i like yes. to put it <laughs> so or, or we know when we've outstayed our welcome <laughs> no we don't know that yet because we're still doing the show uh let's see uh we got a couple stories for this uh for this episode and one of them came straight out of no agenda and i want to make the claim that i had this in my notes before adam brought it up uh no agenda <laughs> Scooped like Hagen does. It's scooped. Unfortunately, it was soft serve. Uh, but this oh, is the McDonald's sco scooped like McFlurry. <laughs> mixed up like a McFlurry. Uh, this was the I think it's pronounced Kitched, Kitch, uh, which is this company that makes an accessory aftermarket parts for your uh, ice cream maker at your drive-through restaurant, your fast food restaurant. And this is the story that Adam was alluding to. It was about a pending lawsuit against McDonald's. And the FTC oh, this, getting involved. and This has sort of been going on for a while now. And I, you know, my first thought when I read this, by the way, is I, I kind of been ignoring. I, I, it became a meme. Oh, it's a meme. All of the, the ice cream machines are always out at McDonald's. And I was like, who the hell eats at McDonald's? Uh, lots of people, apparently. But yeah. uh, my first thought was just, just what the world needed, an, an Internet of Things ice cream dispenser. Yeah. The, we've covered McDonald's ice cream heavily on here uh, back when Casey was talking to us. She gave us her, her review of why the ice cream machines are, are always broken. That was back on the Dairy Bladder. Yes. Was the name of that episode. And before that, we had, uh, maybe I could find it the old show notes, allegedly have a search function here. Um, there's a website. Let's see. It looks like it was episode 42, maybe. They had a, uh, yeah, McDonald's ice cream uh, story. Apparently, we did. Oh, Yes. Was, was that like, it was like McBroken.com? Yeah, it was McBroken.com and you could get a map by, uh, they use some web API for ordering McDonald's to place an order for an ice cream cone at every McDonald's in the world. Yeah. <laughs> or at least in North America. Saw, and they see which ones fail. They say, oh, the ice cream machine's down. That's great. See, I was, I was reading the, I was reading the Wired article where they described the McBroken.com and <laughs> the way that they described it was they said that the site 
attempts to place an order for ice cream at every McDonald's in the world every half hour. And I'm like, if this is not a de- denial of service attack. The denial of flavor attack. McDonald's yeah. is foisting on us. That's what they're doing. Oh, well, there's man. that. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a long, rich history of McDonald's ice cream. But I liked the the details in this the more recent article. This is the missing information you didn't hear anywhere else until now on Rare Encounter. Let me pop open to my uh, my current show notes here. The the substance of the lawsuit seems to have to do with an aftermarket accessory that monitors the machine. And they think the FTC is getting involved because of alleged anti-competitive behavior that McDonald's is uh, basically forcing their franchisees to kind of suffer instead of using an aftermarket device, which helps the ice cream machine stay alive or helps track if it needs maintenance. So, so the way the way I understood this is is the 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 machine was made by a, a company called Taylor. Yes, and it is it is the officially anointed by McDonald's global machine that everybody must have if you're going to be serving these things. Which means that if you own a McDonald's franchise, then you have to go out and buy this eighteen thousand dollar machine, which is it, it goes through and it auto mixes and auto sanitizes itself. It's it's incredibly complicated. And it is so complicated that the franchise owners and, and let alone the people working in the McDonald's don't really have a chance of keeping the thing working because uh, to, to read the article anyway, it is notoriously breaking down all the time. So they, they don't always know when it's broken, like, especially if they're the owner and the, the you know, minimum wage workers coming in in the morning don't bother to check because they're busy. They got other stuff or, to do. Or, and so you don't know if it's down or not. Better yet, they come in, they check, it's broken. They put a sign on it and they don't tell the manager why. So yeah. they don't have to deal with that shit. They just say it's broken. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I tell you what, if I worked there and I, 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 in my distant past, I did work fast food very briefly and never going back. But if I did work there, yeah, I'd be much happier just tell people sorry no ice cream and i'm not gonna be the one to dig through that stupid thing but uh it it became such a problem and so notorious that a third-party company and i didn't i didn't catch the company's name but created this device the the device is called the kitsch k-y-t-c-h yeah and and the device plugs into uh an undocumented api um i've got uh let's see uh According to the Wired article, you press the cone icon on the screen of the Taylor C602 digital ice cream machine, then tap the buttons that show a snowflake and a milkshake to set the digits on the screen to five, then two, then three, then one. After that precise series of no fewer than 16 button presses, a menu magically unlocks. Wired called this a cheat code. Uh, In programming, I would call it more a debug menu. But either way, this kitsch device apparently goes through that menu or something like it and uh, totally unauthorized ways calls up diagnostics on the machine so that it can tell the people who own the machine. Because otherwise, the only option you have when you when you're managing one of these franchises is uh, machines broke. Call the tailor people again. And if they can get to us, they'll charge us eight hundred dollars. Yeah. It, it sort of so, smacks of the John Deere service rackets where they won't let. Third that's parties exactly work what it is. Either. This is. 
this is a right to repair story that I at its core. It's, it's about the, you know, Apple trying to, to shut down third party people fixing iPhones. It's about John Deere saying that the only people who can work on your tractor when you only have three weeks of harvest season is going to be the, the John Deere dealership 300 miles away. And maybe they can get somebody out. It's, it, it is about me trying to figure out how to use this mute button. <laughs> use a mute button. There we go. <laughs> I'm, I'm real good at that one. Yeah. It, it is about people buying something and and owning what they bought versus uh, selling a license to, oh, maybe you can use this and maybe the company will magically decide whether or not it works. You know, that's that's the, the classic right to repair is whether or not you're allowed to use the thing that you bought. But uh, this particular one, the the twist on it is that apparently these things uh, to 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 hear the you know the article tell it and um, they break down all the freaking time and mm -hmm. apparently uh, Taylor is overburdened and their service calls are like two weeks out when you have a broken machine they just don't have enough people to fix them all yeah so you know so, you think capitalism that's what you'd want as a third party would step in and say hey we could do that better than the manufacturer. Well, you'd think yeah. so, but now they have. I, I, I pulled a couple of quotes from the, the Taylor representative. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, uh, do you have sound clips? No, no sound. Oh, go ahead. No, I, I, I pulled. Well, I tried to pull sound clips out of the Wired article, and then I realized the article is text. Oh, yeah, it's hard to do. I, I've, I've tried it before. You need one of those speaking hear, fonts. Me, speaking fonts. Yes. You know? That's actually, you can, with a lot of websites, you can turn on accessibility and it'll read it to you. Yeah. That might work. So what do we got? What, they, what uh, these guys have to no. say for themselves? Okay, he says, uh, a lot of what's been broadcasted can be attributed to the lack of knowledge about the equipment and how they operate in the restaurants, a Taylor representative said. When working with dairy products, you have to make sure the machine is cleaned properly. The machines are built with a lot of interconnecting parts that you have to operate in a complex environment and manner. Um, uh, the, they also described uh, um, every two weeks you have to pull this thing entirely apart to clean and sanitize every piece. And it has, quote, no fewer than two dozen rubber and plastic O-rings of different sizes and missing any one of them will cause the machine to leak and break down. Jeez. Um, so I, I, I looked at this and thought, OK, it's a complex machine. OK, first of all, I know why they have this particular machine. But let me just say every other restaurant in existence will use what they call uh, ice cream, milk and a blender. Which is some pretty simple thing. You know, blender, you you take it apart. Now, this device costs eighteen grand <laughs> for the franchise owner. What's a blender cost? Uh, let's ask Jimmy Buffett. I'm sure he knows what a blender costs. No, I don't know. It can't be more than what oh, eight, maybe a hundred bucks. Yeah, hundred bucks if you want a decent I, one. I was thinking twenty, but maybe for a cheaper Walmart one. But I, I don't know. I just. You know, the, the reason why McDonald's insists that everybody has to use these machines is because at peak hours, they are capable of turning out a McDonald's milkshake every six seconds, which is something that you can't do with a blender. Um, but I would argue that, uh, you know, a blender, maybe it takes two minutes per milkshake, which is a lot slower than a milkshake every six seconds, but is still a lot faster than no milkshakes today because the machine is broken. So, so so they've given up the long tail, that long swirly tail on the ice cream uh, cone market, the McFlurry market. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yes, favor the, the, the long ice cream cone tail is missing. <laughs> oh, boy. 
So yeah, um, and everybody knows that that Dairy Queen has far better milkshakes anyway. Yeah. <laughs> well, we had some other stuff going on. Uh, you want to trade? Uh, you said you had some stories. You can bring one in if you want, or I can just roll down some of mine. Oh no, go go ahead and bring it. All right. Uh, my next one was a little bit of local news. I mean, we didn't get hit by a tornado last week, which is good. Uh, some other parts Try of harder. the state did. <laughs> I'd be out there with my uh, my little. Uh, what do they call those? The pinwheel uh, things on the sticks. I mean, how Chasing do you expect it down? to be an? How do you expect to be an on the scene reporter if you're not on the scene? How is Helen Hunt gonna fall in love with me if I'm not out there with a beanie cap with a propeller on it, running at tornadoes have, on my bicycle? Did, all I'm saying is that movie is 25 years old, <laughs> and I'm not sure you're gonna want Helen Hunt now. Oh boy, here we go. Uh, no, this was a uh, DC from the DMV, as we all know, the DMV. Uh, does not refer to the Department of Motor Vehicles, but the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area. And uh, this is a story from the DMV. It's actually from the D part of the DMV, which is the D.C. Follow along, folks. Uh, this was a story from a little while ago, but it it, it keeps circulating. And I, I didn't see it when it came out the first time. It's another one of these sleepers. It started popping up again this month, which is this D.C. jail inmate uh, is elected to office. And he becomes the first incarcerated man who's elected to office. So what you're saying is the first politician who's guilty and went to jail for it. Yeah. So th this was a guy, um, Joel Kasten, uh, who is in jail. He's I think he's up for parole in a year because he committed a, a crime as a teenager. Now, the crime, it sounds like was murder, if I've got these facts right. Okay. Uh, I mean, it, this is D.C. Is Aren't all the crimes murder? Well, you know, sometimes you're sm smoking crack, but then you get to be uh, mayor if you do that. Um <laughs> The um, the bottom line is, I'm looking at this guy, he he did his promotion through podcasting, it sounds like. He got picked up, but you know, someone else is helping him. They're pro promoting him for this prisoner's rights kind of side of the story, where they say, we want to make sure prisoners can vote. And so here's, you know, they they got this guy, and he, he was elected to the Advisory Neighborhood uh, Council as the commissioner. I'm sorry, it was the Advisory Neighborhood Commission. Uh, and he's the head of that now. And Okay. It's an interesting story. I was thinking about this. I said, I don't know. What do you really? I think you have an what? easier time being independent when you're incarcerated than if you're in the uh, out in the open. I'm, at, uh, I'm looking at this it, thing. It, I wonder if I trust this guy more than uh, a local politician who can go out to Anne Arundel uh, County and uh, just do I mean, dumb I stuff I can answer that question. I can answer that question. He got elected. No, you can't trust him. Ah, there you go. But... I I feel like if if he's already in jail, that's at least more honest than most politicians. I I don't personally have a very high opinion of most politicians, but uh, what these local races are the ones where I think you can make a real difference uh, if if you want to change politics because because everything at at the state level and higher is you pretty much sure it's fixed, but. But these local neighborhood races are the ones that that people can get in and if they really care about something and and maybe this guy cared. It wasn't really clear to me. I, I, I mean, yeah, OK, he murdered somebody and got convicted for it. That that I mean, that's the sort of thing that's a little bit problematic, especially for the murder victim. Yeah. But uh, it, uh, that doesn't seem to be a deal breaker for people in D.C., as we've already seen with countless uh, elections. So yeah. uh, maybe this guy just is he, he's. Bringing, he, maybe he's the best candidate. Maybe he's bringing some real hope and change to the situation. Well, they call him, 
It's funny you say hope and change because what I was seeing is they his nickname's Obama, uh, <laughs> actually, in the article. So that's a little connection for you. I was trying to find out the details of how he got elected and how they got the word out. Now, besides the fact that a lot of prisoners uh, presumably voted for him, I couldn't well, find I'm, I'm, primary sources. So he's supposed to have been promoted on a bunch of podcasts where he got everyone heard him on these podcasts and. Uh, and uh, they liked his message so much they voted for him. Well, I kept looking for podcasts with this guy on it. I couldn't find out what he was originally on or find an interview with him. I could find a lot of podcasts talking about him, but I couldn't find the source material. In including this one. Including this one. I also couldn't find he his manifesto, which is alluded to in a few news articles. But I couldn't find a link to that either. It, you know, I didn't spend my entire that weekend uh, searching for this thing, but... See, it's like it should that be more kind of apparent, lack of dedication. You know? Yeah, I know. Did you find it? No, <laughs> no, oh, well, no. I, I read, I read the article that you put in the document, and I went, "Huh, a felon as a political candidate." Yep. Yeah, that, that checks. I don't know. I like the idea that he's in jail, and you know, while we're at I it, like we should the just idea of politicians in jail too. We should just put all of our elected officials in in jail just in case, because it might be better. I. I'm with you. Uh, where where do we, how do I sign up? How do we make this happen? Oh boy. Um, so there, there's your little local story. <laughs> I, that, that's all there I, is to I, it. It's everything, just some... No, everything, it, it, you're, you're absolutely pegging my confirmation bias dial here. <laughs> you are, you are nailing like, okay. Oh, uh, so politician in jail. Yeah. Uh, a, a guy from DC murdered somebody. Yeah. Guy from DC murdered somebody, but that didn't prevent them from going into DC politics. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, no. I mean, we had like Marion Barry was there and I can't remember when he was running in office. Was it the nineties? He was the famous. I, I uh, think so. Eddie Murphy referenced him in, no, it wasn't Eddie. Uh, Chris Rock referenced him in a standup. I was going to, I was going to say Marion Barry. Good. Charlotte referenced him in a song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How's that? Uh, yeah, that's it. Uh, there, there wasn't else, much else going on. We got Hogan. Uh, we got some bits from Ariner. Uh, I don't have oh, yeah? the clip here. Yeah. You know, Ariner runs no agenda social. Yes. He was out doing some local it, politics. Um, I'm going to, oh, yeah, I'll play that did, after. Did he get, wait, wait, did he get elected from jail too? <laughs> no, 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 no. He was just banned. Okay. No, no, I'm kidding. Uh, he was in front of a school board. Um, and he's okay. talking about, well, he's talking about something we don't usually talk about on the show, which is COVID stuff. So I think, um, I'm going to promote it on no agenda social and we'll set that aside. There's enough. That, that's a good place for it. Yeah. It I was, mean, a, if you want to learn more about COVID, then go ahead and listen to, uh, no agenda, which will be, uh, on tomorrow morning. Oh yeah. Uh, tomorrow I, in the morning, I want to make sure Adam gets a clip of Aaron or I don't know if we'll play it or not, but he definitely needs to have that on his show because he did a great little rundown at the school meeting school board meeting so uh, it, you don't have to look very far well okay you have to look past youtube because youtube's banning most of these but if if you check any source that isn't engaged in lots of censorship you're going to be able to find dozens and dozens and dozens of people who recorded very angry folks at school board meetings saying you're doing what to my kids yep uh you know today Today was uh, my uh, niece's first day of first grade, and actually first day inside, her, her entire kindergarten year was done remotely. And uh, when, when my brother says, 
uh, yeah, t- tomorrow's going to be her, her first day in first grade. And I said, oh, great. Is she going to be actually going to the school or is it remote? Oh, she's going to the school. Cool. Cool. I- is she going to have to wear a-, a mask and have no human contact? Yep. Well, there's there's Washington State for you. Yeah, there you go. Ah, man. We had some, uh, I don't know, little annoyances. I was trying to watch uh, Astros Mariners game the other day. And yeah. uh, the, Did the Mariners gonna, lose. They're good at that. <laughs> I, I was appalled when I saw a pop in, in the middle of the show, they had, I think it was pop. between image uh, innings. I should say they had a little pop Popping. up on the screen that says, yeah, and here, go to this website and bid on this NFT <laughs> right on the damn TV show. Uh, oh, it, like, was it, was it an actual ad break? Like somebody bought an ad for it or was, was well, it the team pushing it? I think it was the network pushing it because it was the announcers. Like it was between okay. uh, between hitters or something. I can't. I didn't record it. I was out uh, watching it on, on someone else's TV, and it was just the damnedest thing. I said, "Wait a minute!" So now they're plugging NFTs on the middle of Major League Baseball games. This is dumb. So, I I don't know. It's I'm not a fan uh, of NFTs, NFTs at all. Have gone, well, it, I mean, aside from the, if you can get past the fact that uh, almost all NFTs are nothing but a huge pump and dump scam, if you can get past that, they're kind of cool. Like the technology behind it is is based on another option for blockchain, and you know, blockchain needs more legitimate uses. Well, which I'm not sure this is one, but the the blockchain news that I was into was the El Salvador story. Uh, I don't know if you saw this, but we, let's go back to McDonald's for a second. McDonald's has to is accepting payments to... over Lightning in El Salvador. Oh, are they? They are. And here's what was overlooked. That's kind of cool. We all know that El Salvador moved, uh, they adopted Bitcoin as a uh, legitimate as currency. As an official currency. An official yes. currency, right. What we didn't look at is that Walmart operates in El Salvador, uh, McDonald's operates in El Salvador, and a number of other international multinational corporations all operate in El Salvador and McDonald's had to get a solution in place. So if you go to the McDonald's and I can't remember what the, the main city is called because I'm bad at South American ge- or yeah, South American geography, the, um, uh, bottom S- line San is Salvador, isn't it? Yeah. I think there's one, I looked it up on Google maps. I actually found, I found the, uh, okay. a drone you're, you're photo of me... someone looking at it. Uh, but they had a, so I, I thought the capital was San Salvador, but there might be. That sounds right. You, anyway, you're, the you're point is the McDonald's, the McDonald's there, uh, will print out a receipt with a QR code on it and you can scan it with your wallet, uh, app on your phone. It's an invoice QR code and you can pay for your McIce cream or your McEgg McMuffin or whatever the hell you're buying. Yeah. So and, there, there you and go. Then, uh, well, there you go. I mean, they, Lightning is turning out to be the one thing that is is giving Bitcoin its its actual use as a currency, which was something that uh, Bitcoin came out what, uh, nine years ago, and people are like, oh, this is a new currency, and and uh, I looked at it very early on and went, that's not a currency. It's uh, you know, it's either a security or a scam, and it turned out it's looking more like a security these days. But the the throughput for transactions is is not enough to make a currency. No. And Lightning is the thing that is is starting to make it look like it could be. Yeah, I, I've been loving uh, my Lightning node, not physically or uh, 
in the literal sense, but I have been uh, enjoying having Oh, it. somebody's going to pull that out now and, yeah. and you will you will forever go down as the person who's been loving his lightning note. Here, let me get my lightning note. It's right here. Ah, ah, good job. There we go. There's my lightning note. Yeah. The, it, the real question I have is, are the shake machines working in El Salvador? Can Can you get a McFlurry with your Bitcoin? I don't know. They has weird they have weird menus around the world. You can never tell what they're going to serve. Like the guy who was buying stuff with Lightning, he had a plate of beans uh, and pancakes. That was what he got for breakfast and paid with <laughs> Lightning. So, I don't know what the hell's going on down okay. there. Okay. See, I've done that too, but it was when I was out camping. Mm. You know, you know me, I love my beans. Love making my beans. Well, there is that. Yeah. Uh San Salvador, San Miguel, and Santa Ana are the three biggest cities there and then there's there's another city whose name i'm actually forgetting so i was going to say they put it on the map but it's not on the map i'm looking at and more importantly i don't remember it but it's the one that that is now going by bitcoin beach because they installed a bitcoin atm there and said (laughs) hey everybody all you all you peasants and subsistence farmers you're now going to be paying for things in bitcoin and they were like well if you're gonna pour a bunch of money into the economy then sure yep I liked the, uh, well, wait a minute. I thought Bitcoin Beach was in uh, Florida. Doesn't Florida have a big Bitcoin area? Or just like Bitcoin I would not be surprised if there's multiple places called that. Miami, I think, is where it was. Hmm. I've got to remember what that was. That's why they had that Bitcoin uh, carnival down there a little while ago. Anyway, I think we've, uh, rung, we've yeah. rung the ice cream yes. story dry. Yeah, yeah. We're going to move on. What do we got? You're making me want ice cream. I'm going to take another sip of cider while you move on. Oh, well, I move on. Yeah, well, because some people can't take the cues. Um, I'm going to get a uh, another story up here, which is a uh, Windows story. Um, this was just a little one. Uh, it's maybe a little. Uh, I don't know. I'm not I'm going to I'm not going to say I enjoyed this at all, but it was just a, a little story about a <laughs> you, desktop you crash. Already, <laughs> you already said it's Windows. I it's, know you didn't enjoy it at all. It's, it's a Windows 11 uh, story about a crash that that came out. I mean, it's just instability with the. Uh, with their, um, what do they call it? The early adopter version. It's like the beta version of Windows yes, 11. The, it's not pre- ready for prime the time. Pre-release. The, the ones that, that, that people who don't work at Microsoft are eagerly uh, using untested versions and becoming the guinea pigs and beta testers. It's got to be people who don't do anything real for, for work because I would be deathly afraid. Like, I'm scared when Microsoft comes and knocks on my door and wants to update my PC. It makes me want to, you know, it's like turning off automatic updates is like slathering the blood well, over the door frame, you know, hoping they pass over you it, because for, they all, like if, to reset my audio drivers and I lose my settings and there's, it wants to reset right before the show. Hey, what, you know, it's so if you're one of those peasants, one of those plebeians who only has one computer, then this is not for you because installing the pre-release non-tested beta versions of an operating system on your only computer is madness. It's well, e- even, even when I worked at that company when, and they encouraged, they said, everybody needs to be running the, the latest version. I always had at least one computer that was on a stable version of windows. Oh, yeah. Cause if, if a bad build comes out and everybody just installs it, that that's, that's it for work for the day. And I'm like, no, I'd really like to have a computer that I can function on. Hey Ryan, do you got use, into some? Do you use removable hard drives? 
Um, well, all hard drives are removable if you apply enough force. Yeah, I'm talking about the quick removable ones, uh, like the front loading. Like you can pop in SSDs and pop them back out really fast. I'm a big um, fan of this technology. I've been using it for a while now because I have my well, I don't, my production build for the show. I got a little hard drive which has the backup. Oh, I see what you, you know. Mean. Yeah, it's it's no. little SSDs that you can just pop in the front. I actually have one that has all my music stuff backed up on it. You know, it it's a really cool technology. I would advise everyone who's especially if you're making your own PC. These things are way better than putting an internal hard drive in. You want to have these things removable. They're great. And they're just as fast. It's just Do, do you worry about the the memory bus being slower? Uh, you, no. Well, I I don't know. I don't know how they're they're connected. Are they if, if they are, are they, directly if they're connected? Like, so it's just are a quick e SATA or Yeah. Um actually okay. this one's not, but you could because all it's doing is it has it's a little harness that holds the the cable in place and then you can pop it in and then turn the PC on. And when you're done, you turn it off and I've, pull it I've out. Used, I've used USB and, and way back in the day, I don't know how many people remember this. I used Firewire to connect portable drives. And uh, you always suffered through some, some serious uh, throughput issues. So trying to use that as a drive that you load programs from made everything load slower. Nope. But I think if it you is. Know, nowadays they've got the, the eSATA, especially where you're just connected directly to the board controller. It is exactly the same as putting one inside the case, only they have a little spring mechanism that lets you pop it in and pop it out really easily. You know, connect the cable and disconnect it yes. really fast. It is a life changer, especially if you want to keep so a backup you, of everything. Do you, okay, I was going to say, so what? what is the scenario? Can you walk me through why you remove them? Are you... Are you switching out drives or like, uh, I want to remove this one and put a different one in, or is it for this backup this, sounds? The original scenario was because I do two kinds of audio on this computer. This is my audio PC. I, it's not my only PC, but it's the one that has all the high-end audio shit tied to it. So like the other computers over there, and I can do a podcast on it, but it's going to take two hours to set up. Um, yeah. The The scenario was I have kind of three different things I want to do on it because it's, it's the PC at my nice desk in the middle of my living room. And so I want to podcast on it. And that means I have my drivers configured a certain way. I have presets configured a certain way. And I have so, only the software that I want to use for podcasting. So I don't have like games on this drive. And then I can swap it out. I have another drive with also has windows on it. And it has just it, the idea was, oh, so it was you're only switching recording out the operating stuff. system. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay, I'm booting from these drives. Uh, okay. So I, I, the, 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 I, I don't do that. Um, I, I actually have uh, three different physical computers here. Uh, two, two of them run Linux and one runs Windows. And, and if I need to switch my operating system, I actually switch to the other machine and then everything is networked through the LAN. So mm. uh, I have access to my files. But the, the last time I cared about removable drives, it was because I, I needed extra storage space. And I'm like, well, I, here's the data for this. It, I mean, I use them like really big floppy disks where like, I need access to this data. But I haven't been there in a while because modern drives are so big. And uh, the, you know, uh, if you get your own motherboard these days, they come with like eight SATA connectors or 10. Oh, yeah. It's way and too much. I've never run out of problems with not, you know, I just stick more drives in. I'm on a data diet. I keep trying to get rid of files and it feels really good. Like I've got my profile down to, I, I'm talking everything, all of my data over everything. Um, can all fit on one hard drive. It, is that, a, it's backed is that up. a real thing? Is that? Yeah. I mean, it, that's a, uh, I, 
It's a data. I don't know. Diet. I, I go on data diets by having regularly scheduled hard drive crashes. <laughs> well, uh, so I have one NAS. I get everything backed up to that. That's backed up to the cloud through a oh. through a backup service. So if the oh, hard there's drive dies, why you have I'm too like much them, data. Okay. There's I, why you have too much data. You keep backups. Well, you know, <laughs> it's um. I don't want to end up like a, a certain friend of ours who just all his hard drives died at once. <laughs> that would not, that would not be good. Uh, no, no, that wouldn't be. So I'm trying to get rid of all my files. Just, I'm trying to get rid of all my stuff. I don't want this couch behind me. I got to get rid of it. I want to, I want to, no, I, I definitely, sub I subscribe to the opposite though, where I, I still have the entire hard drive image of everything that was on my, my 40 gigabyte hard drive from 1998 when I was, <laughs> oh I, I've got, you know, I've got, I've got an image, uh, in, in a directory somewhere. The directory is probably called stuff of, of everything <laughs> that I've ever had on any computer ever, because it is far, far less effort to just keep buying more storage than it is to sort through all of this stuff and decide, do I really want this or not? <laughs> You're going to be like the government where you have more, uh, you have so much paperwork. It's required to archive this. We can't throw it out. We're actually legally obligated to uh, to keep these files, even though they're junk, and no one knows how to go through and figure out what's real or not. So they just keep storing it all. Yeah, you know? and, and the, <laughs> the math actually works out in my favor, by the way, because if you if you chart, I, I don't know if it's still true now, but the last time I paid attention was about 2016, and if you chart the uh, the the size of the average drive for a particular price point. It, it, the the graph of how much storage you can get for a particular price goes up uh, logarithmically or uh, you know, uh, you, you, exponential. One of those graphs. It's been a while. Exponentially, I think is what, logarithmically means yes. it doesn't go up. Logarithmically very much. means it's slowing down. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it, it goes up exponentially. Now it's a small exponent, but it it keeps going up. And as long as the curve of how much storage you can buy for a particular price point, as long as that curve is above the curve of how much data am I generating and needing to store at any given time, then I'm still good to just store everything and not care about whether or not yeah. it's sorted. This has been revolutionary in like uh, signal processing back in the day. So you want to do image processing um, and you know, you could do, photo processing if you're doing graphic design or something but if, what if you want to process satellite images or you know stuff like that you might need a lot of ram for it or back in the early days we had satellites up taking photos of stuff before we had computers that knew how to deal with the deal with the data <laughs> yeah. you think about that one and yeah. <laughs> in, so when you you set up you set up a streaming api from the satellite you're like i can't store an entire image but if you can stream <laughs> it down i'll process it on the fly yeah. Well, for, in the old days, the bad old days, you know, you had to have a big, ugly dish that was pointed at the thing, and hopefully you had it pointed in the right direction, you got locked on, whatever. These days, if you want to talk to a satellite, we have these whole, uh, the industry has this this thing where if you have a CubeSat, it might be in low Earth orbit, okay, which is hard because sure. it's moving really fast, which means you not only need a big, ugly dish, you need a big, ugly dish that can move, you know, that can turn really fast. It has to turn fast enough to be able to track these things accurately. Sure. Uh, uh, low satellites precise. moving across. Uh, if the satellite's low enough, like Starlink level, those things are moving fast across the sky. Oh, yeah. And so anyway, they have these companies that'll set up listening stations all over the, the Earth on all the continents. 
um, including, you know, Australia. They'll have a bunch of stations down there. And you lease time on it. You say, my satellite's coming over. Here's its orbital. Uh, here's the equations or the coefficients that tell you what orbit it's in. And I want to buy yeah. 30 minutes of time. And what they'll do is they'll lock on the satellite and, they, and it's set up. So when your window opens, you get a VPN connection to all the instruments oh, wow, on it. That's okay. what they give you. That's the product. So you can just, okay, now I can turn that into my thing and uh, download my data file and uh, adjust this or, you know, do whatever I need to do. It's, and I, I imagine that you're not like writing code during that 30 minutes. What you're probably do, doing is for the other 23 and a half hours, you're writing exactly what you want. So you can use that 30 minutes to perform an upload or something. Dog, you can get a web page that opens. Here's my satellite. And you go to it and it's a fucking web page. <laughs> and you say, click the download data button. Okay, now any moron can do this. Satellites are like my router. It's what it looks like. So I don't know. I, okay, I, I, you just scared me. You sent a chill down my spine saying any moron can do this because one of the things that I pay a lot of attention to online is security. And I, just the idea of anybody being able to open up a router config page on your satellite just <laughs> sent a little <laughs> shiver down my spine. Oh, they've been hacking satellites since the 80s. Man, there's some stuff. <laughs> Back, it, it, back when they were worry, just dumb repeaters, worry, you, you know? Yeah, you can get all your control back if you just call up the CIA and ask them to use their back door. <laughs> well, uh, guys, uh, we, we got, uh, what's it called when they encrypt your whole thing? We got ransomware on yeah. the satellite. Yeah, okay, we just <laughs> ransomware. <laughs> That's perfect. Some, That's some, perfect. Uh, so, some narcos uh, ransomware my satellite. I uh, got to deal with it. Oh, man. So this other article that you uh, you link to in in the notes file, and I I'll, I'll just I'll put it all out there right now. Uh, you had about seven articles in the notes, and I thought these are all great concepts, and there's no way we're going to get to more than these in one hour. So I didn't bring any. So you keep trying to throw it to me, and I'm like, <laughs> I got nothing. I I totally. You know how much research I did? Big fat goose egg. Ah, but man. Excel. Yeah, this Microsoft is, Excel and scientific research. That one. Yeah, why don't that, you bring that it was up. the most rage-inducing story in your whole notes. <laughs> no, this was uh, a survey of a bunch of published scientific papers where they had charts inside the scientific papers and they had legends in those charts telling what was going on with different lines and things. And they went and they found that a number of uh, what was it? Proteins. These were all in the uh, uh, genes. They were genes in the. Uh, yeah. I'm trying to get the thing open so I can remember what was what this thing was about. They have names. The names of the genes yeah. are are set up in a way that Excel, when you type them into an empty cell in Excel, if you don't go and format it on your own, if you well, don't, it, if you're proactive, it interprets it as the wrong kind of data. It interprets it as a date it, or it, something. Yeah. So so in in Excel, the when you when you want to explicitly add data, if you want it to be a string, you put it in quotes. If you want it to be, you know, there's, but most people don't do that. They'll just put raw text in there and then leave it up to Excel to decide what kind of data this is. And, and, and the first problem I see is uh, they, they were talking about human genes and uh, there are gene groups um, that are, came out of the Human Genome Project that are things like there's a group called SEPT. And yeah. so if you want to talk about the first gene in the SEPT group, then the gene name is SEPT1. 
which if you drop that into Excel, Excel says, hey, I'm going to helpfully convert it to uh, nine slash one of this year. Yeah, it takes it as a date. First of September. And and there's another another gene group called March, M-A-R-C-H. And I'm not sure what that stands for, but I know what March means to Excel. And first of all, I put this on the Human Genome Project because Excel has been around longer than the Human Genome Project for why did you name genes after dates? Yeah, yeah. and I don't know how that happened. It, maybe, maybe it was like, well, we discovered this on March third, so it's going to be March three, Gene. Uh, maybe. I don't know. Okay, if, get get. You need a designer in your team, is what you need. They need to stop call, using call Excel it. for scientific data. Yes. This is the bane of my existence. When I got, I got into uh, some labs that I I would work in for a while. I go in and visit, and I'd find out. So wait a minute, you do electromagnetics research and you store all your data in Excel files. What? What are you doing? Why? It's, it's a database. It, 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 no, for, it's for not. anybody. Well, did people think it is? People treat it like a database. They're like, well, it's got it's a table with rows. I I firmly believe that some of these places are just held back in what they can do because they use the wrong tools. If instead of using Excel, they took well, what do you have? You have to send one or two guys out to like MATLAB school, or uh, if you don't want to pay for MATLAB, you can go to Python. There's classes where I, you can learn how to use these things. So if you I, send I a mean, couple employees to do it, and then you 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 unlock all this, now you can use complex numbers. Now you can do all kinds of shit that you couldn't do in Excel, and your research you're isn't talk- suffering for it. You're talking to a programmer here. As far as I'm concerned, they should not be storing data in Excel. They should be storing data in, uh, drum roll please, database which can be accessed from all sorts of things yes. but but even if people aren't doing that like if you absolutely have to have something with a friendly interface i feel like like just a csv file is going to be better than excel for a lot of this cuz at least then you don't have something interpreting it before storing it yeah they, but, what they usually use if you go to nasa you'll get it's not a csv it's something uh it's called the common data format. The CDF file is what you'll get off a lot of these. And so the joke okay. is, because it's supposed to be a standard format, everyone knows CDF. Anyone can read or write a CDF in the science community. Well, the joke is CDF stands for the changes daily format. Because <laughs> nothing <laughs> fucking is. works. But uh, there you go. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm just telling you, as in IT, I do a lot. I, I know people, people can laugh if they want, but when you need... We absolutely need something that is is dead simple and can be interpreted by anything, anywhere. It is hard to beat just a straight comma delimited text file. It is. Yeah, I'm completely on board with that. Uh, um, I will, however, uh, I'll go ahead and break from this and say uh, there are lots and lots of reasons why you shouldn't be using Microsoft Excel. However... I don't put this error entirely on Microsoft. This is on the paper authors, the peer reviewers, the people who have apparently abandoned scientific review uh, rigor. Uh, I did the people reviewing the like what what is reviewing a paper supposed to mean? At the very least, how about you look through the data and check if any of this stuff is dates? Yeah, that would be great. Does this gening is this a real gene or is just some like is <laughs> is uh, is. Is March seventh a uh, gene, or is that? Well, it might be a gene. I don't know. I, I, yeah, I don't know. That, if March that's, maybe that's is a gene, trick. but it's, it's. But I, there's got to be ways. There's. I, I just. I mean, why they call I, it? I think you're right. Why they call it March? What is that? Like the goose stepping gene or something? <laughs> it's either that or the only. 
I thought about this and the only thing I can come up with is they're really not creative and they discovered it during the third month of the year. That's the only thing I've got. <laughs> uh, yeah. Lamer things have happened. I, yeah. Uh, and, you know, it, I guess there, here's a quote that I pulled out of the article that, that sums up the whole thing for me. And it wasn't the one that the article focused on, but it was the one that the giant red flag for me, which says, if gene name autocorrect errors can pass peer review undetected into published data files, what other errors might also be lurking <laughs> among the thousands of data points? Oh, it's garbage. And, and, and that's the problem. You, you look at this and you're like, hey, look, this data file has got this problem. And you're like, well, that's a really obvious problem that could have probably been fixed by a once over of the data. But if they didn't even do a once over of the data, what else is wrong with the data? They had a and, an algorithm I implemented. It was this wasn't even with this you'd think mathematicians would know better. But there is a method I <laughs> use. Yeah, yeah, I know you laugh at that one. Um it was a published paper. Um it was by a guy, what the hell is his name? This German guy, and he'd written this paper. It was about uh oh god, it was a regression method. Uh it was a gradient descent method. Uh, for optimizing, if I had a point cloud that described the parabolic surface that was rotated and scaled and it had all these different things, how do I find what the original parameters were? And I got this paper and I'm going through it. I typed it all in and it didn't work. This is peer-reviewed, published, and it's except I'm pulling this off from both EU databases and it's cited, you know, it's a widely distributed paper and the algorithm doesn't work. And I'm going through and it's like, in the paper he has... Well, there's sometimes there's typos. He had a derivative that was taken wrong. Like in one place, it's just, oh, here's a here's some component, and then I take like the derivative, you know, like calculus one. You know, yeah. it's the, he did the chain rule wrong. It's like what the fuck is this? Come on, wait, it, you could get away with that in a, a published peer reviewed paper. Yeah, you mean the first level freshman college class that every single STEM graduate has to have passed? Yes, that's what he did. And I, and so I, I found it. I debugged his algorithm. I fixed it. And so I have the only, I think I have the only working red line copy of this algorithm stored away. Cause I, it is I very possible it, you know? that you, it is very possible. You're the only person who's ever tried to implement the <laughs> algorithm. A lot of papers I think are like that. No, no. And it's, it's all like the academic culture out there where the, uh, you know, it, 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 every, every manager knows that if you implement metrics to decide how well your employees are doing, how, whatever that happens to be, people will tailor their work to the metrics, regardless of whether or not it's what you actually want. Oh yeah. And the metric in academia is a number of papers published. That is the only metric. So is it any question that people are optimizing for that? And that metric doesn't take into account, are the papers right? It doesn't take into account, are the papers peer reviewed? It does, yeah. you know, because, because you don't have to get peer reviewed anymore to get into a journal somewhere. No. Um, the, it, so some of these are Chinese institutions that pay the authors by the paper. So the Chinese institution, um, whether it's some university, they pay, if you get published in an American journal, you get a check. And okay. they, they don't you, you care if like it's good Western or bad. Ones are, you say that like Western institutions are more respectable. The, well, you know, you're up for review for your tenure this year, but uh, we notice you only have 50 papers published this year, and we'd like it to be at least 70 before we consider your tenure. You know, I, how is that different? It's it's not really. Okay. But okay. I'll stop. The, the, reason I brought up, the reason I brought up China is the CCP actually put a policy in last year. Um 
that told the uh, institutions to stop doing that because everyone knows they're just pumping and pumping low quality shit out there and it's ruining their reputation in the community to the point where there are some uh, institutions, Western institutions, who now they don't say this a lot publicly, but there's debate inside saying we need to ban uh, basically Chinese affiliated research groups from trying to publish because they publish thousands of papers and none of them are good. They're all rehashes of someone else's better idea or they're just wrong. And the reason they're doing it is because they get, they, they, uh, it's almost like it's the undergrad project, you know? Oh, well you want to graduate, you know, we want to, we want you to write a paper before you, uh, uh, get accepted into the master's or PhD program, you know? And so there's an incentive for it and they get paid for it. And it's just part of the, the way they've been doing business for so long is you got to crank out some shitty student paper. And that's what they really are. Yeah. Honestly, I shouldn't say, I shouldn't say it like it's, Oh, the Chinese do bad research. Cause that's not true at all. It's that students. Well, do there, shitty... there are Chinese, there are Chinese who do bad research, but the, the students, the students do really bad research because they're friggin' undergrads. They don't know what they're doing but they're incentivized to publish because it makes them look good and they have to stand out yeah. in some way. And so you get it, these like dummies writing papers and they're in pigeon English. It's terrible. And no one wants to deal with it. No one can speak out about it. Cause oh, you, you can't, I don't know, somehow, uh, the Chinese, which is the uh, dominant, uh, I wouldn't say dominant force in the world, but they're, they're one of these near peer, uh, to the United States countries, you know, is pointing out, I'm not, doing I'm something not going bad. to it's like, come on. I'm not going to go so far as to encourage everybody out there to read the Freakonomics book by uh, Stephen Levitt, I think. Um, it, it was it's definitely a good book, but if even if you decide not to read it, because really, who reads these days? Um, <laughs> the one lesson to take away from that is that incentives matter. Oh, yeah. And if you want to know what how people are actually motivated, look at their incentive structure, because it doesn't matter what they say. It doesn't matter what they're supposed to do or their instructions. The only thing that matters is what are they incentivized to do? Um, yeah, I wasn't going to I wasn't going to bring this, but uh, I read uh, an, uh, a re resignation <gasps> letter from. You brought a uh -oh. story? I know. No, I just read a story and now well, I'm you're bringing talk content. Wait, you're bringing content. Okay, you know what? Let's cancel the whole thing. This is a bad <laughs> idea. No, go, no, do it, do it. I'm excited. Uh, Dr. Peter Bug Bugazian from uh, Portland State University sent a scathing resignation letter that he posted to Substack um, where <laughs> he. The fact he, it's he on is, Substack tells me kind of what's in it already. So, Well, yes. And the fact that he's from Portland State and the fact that he is complaining that the university has abandoned the liberal values that can bring us all together. Um, th this guy is is very clearly a classic liberal leftist, uh, the, the kind of guy that uh, would have had Republicans fuming 10 years ago. And uh, the the current woke left has pushed so far Um I'm I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but uh, he is basically saying uh, I was a philosophy professor and I was teaching people critical thinking in my classes and I was teaching them to question what they hear because the establishment is always trying to mess with them. And so I'd bring on uh, people who disagreed with me and so that we could have the discussion in a civil manner. You know, he was teaching people the kind of thing that I think we actually want from schools. And he said in the last five years or it has become 
almost impossible to do that because whenever he brings on somebody who uh, might not, uh, you know, jump at, at whatever the, the current values are, um, he gets complaints and he got a complaint from a student that triggered uh, a formal inquiry under title eight or title nine or whatever one, which ended up ruining his reputation for three years before he was ultimately exonerated. They said they could find no evidence, but he was getting death threats. He was getting, so, uh, hold on, you know, back people, up. What was the complaint? Um, I think now you're going to make me actually read this stupid article. Ugh. Uh, it, the, this particular complaint was, uh, let's see. Just say it was racist and we'll move on. It it, it sounds racist. Well, one of the things that people were complaining about was that he was bringing the classic philosophers who happen because these are the people who were writing philosophy in the 19th century happen to mostly be white male Europeans, except for the coincidence, except for the ones who were Persians, but that's okay. Yeah. Well, he (laughs) brought those and people were complaining that he was, uh, a microaggression and, and racism. And, uh, basically uh, you've heard the story a thousand times. It, it's all woke. But the thing that really made me uh, jumped out at me was when he finally started to test the system because he said, well, I, I may have been naive, but I thought maybe if I showed people how ridiculous this new stuff is, that we could shake the, the system and, and get people to recognize the problem. And so he started publishing, uh, Let's see. In 2017, I co-published an intentional, an intentionally garbled peer-reviewed paper that took aim at the new orthodoxy. Its title: "The Conceptual Penis as a Social Construct." Woo! This example of pseudo scholarship, which was published in Cogent Social Sciences, argued that penises were products of the human mind and responsible for climate change. <laughs> oh boy! Immediately after being published, he revealed the article as a hoax designed to shed light on the flaws of the peer review system. However, uh, shortly thereafter, swastikas in the bathroom with his name under them began appearing near the philosophy department. People showed up in his office to berate him over the... It it, it backfired. Jeez, Louise. (laughs) So... Well, I, I, I wasn't going to bring any content. I'm sorry. Well, let me let, let's stay on this tip because I, I have a little uh, blast from the past. I don't think we got to this on the show, uh, but this was the tortured phrases paper. Do you know what I'm talking about when I say tortured phrases? I uh, refresh my memory. Uh, this was a story I was going to run. It's in it was in the show notes back on episode 57. I don't think we got to it. It, it was about scientific papers that are just churned out and mostly fake and and it has all the statistics of oh of all the fake papers we found most of them are actually from mainland china and almost less than 10 percent of them were from everywhere else in the world but anyway yes by volume (laughs) the the critical flaws discovered included reuse of text or images without acknowledgement they had references to non-existent literature and the thesis of this paper uh, which was published in, I can't remember where it was, was it published in Nature? They had a, um, the thesis was a lot of these were just being machine generated. They had a machine learning paper generator that would suck in a bunch of papers, publish literature on a certain topic, and then make a new paper that was just compiled using, uh, you know, a thesaurus and the ideas in the other paper, but a machine was doing it. It would copy some pictures from here or there and, and, Make a PDF that they so, submit. All I'm all I'm hearing is that even academics aren't safe. AI is taking all of our jobs. And so, tortured phrases are 
when the machine learning system decides that it wants to, well, it's not going to completely copy this uh, phrase. It changes the names with the thesaurus. And I want to go down a list uh, oh, and I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you what the tortured <laughs> phrase is. And you tell me what the original phrase is. So the first one is huge information. This is a paper uh, on huge big data. In, big data. There you go. How about counterfeit consciousness? Um, ooh, uh, uh, artificial intelligence. There you go. You got another one. Uh, how about haze figuring? Haze figuring. Haze figuring. Come uh, on. Haze fuzzy logic. No, 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 no. You get a that's cloud nope. cloud computing. <laughs> oh. How about the Okay, uh, yeah. How about the focal preparing unit? Um I I don't know. I that, prep. That's a CPU. <laughs> the central <laughs> really? processing unit. Yeah, that's dumb. We got a couple more here. No, we it's got, not. <laughs> I like this one. The, you, as a math guy, you'll appreciate this. Mean square blunder. Uh, root problem? No, nah, it's the mean square error. <laughs> oh. The mean square blunder. 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 Yes, of course. How about indicator to commotion as a graph? Maybe you have a graph that shows you the indicator to commotion. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm lost here. This is signal to noise. <laughs> oh, of course and it that's is. The, that's, um... <laughs> Uh, I'll, I'll leave you with this one. Here's the last one. I'll say this is uh, maybe we're doing a study in biology and we're going to talk about um, uh, certain aspects of the underground creepy crawly. The underground creepy crawly. Or the, the underground the, creepy crawly area. The. Man, I got, I got nothing. The, we're, the, and that appeared in a real paper that was about ant colonies. I'm, I, I'm sure it did. <laughs> and so, yeah, there's a... Uh, oh, so it is actually underground and has something to do with... I, okay. <laughs> I mean, it's... It, it's And so this is how the okay. machine learning works. It doesn't know yeah. that root mean squared, or uh, mean square error, I'm sorry, is a thing. You can't change mean square error and expect anyone to know what you mean if you change one word to, to mean square blunder, you know? The, the, the way I've always described machine learning is is that it generates information like uh like the star football player who had a cheerleader do all of his homework oh, and boy. then cheats off of the nerd and so he gets all of the answers pretty much right but doesn't understand what any of it means hmm. okay that was a terrible metaphor i'm still lost on the football player and algorithm is the football player i i played football back in the day <laughs> Oh, I man. was I, in, in high school. I was that really weird nerd who, who I was. I was big enough that I went ahead. I played football, but I was also the nerd. And people didn't know exactly what because you know normally you can take nerds and stuff them in lockers. I didn't fit in a locker, and more importantly, I could defend myself. So I was in high school. It was a little weird. Speaking of anyway. being bullied in high school, let's talk about some anime. Oh yes, <laughs> yes. I, gotta... I watched an anime for this show. Indeed. So what'd you watch? Yeah, I have no idea. You got to tell me. Okay. What I watched was uh, Evangelion 1.1.1 or something like that, um, which was the first one. It was recommended to me on Amazon and I looked at it and went, yeah, this looks like softcore cartoon porn. This has got to be what they're talking about. Um, <laughs> you watched the you remake. A, uh. Uh, sure. <laughs> I also watched it in uh, with the the new 2015 dub from Amazon ah! because 
because I don't speak Japanese and I'm not some kind of a, a, a weeb that Japanophile. So, um, but I did, I pulled some clips. Okay. Yeah. Hit me with out it. Out of the dub. Hit me with because, it. Because this, okay. So right at the very beginning of this, um, when uh, the, the very early on, they, they give the plot exposition. And um, this, by the way, is... It's trying to set up, so I understand what it function it has in the movie, but it also gives you a sneak preview of the high level of voice acting that you can expect <laughs> through this whole movie. Here we go. Target remains unfazed. It is continuing to advance toward Tokyo 3. Air units are ineffective in stopping the target's advance. This is total war. Deploy all units of the Reserve Force Division immediately. Send in everything we have. We need to crush that target at all costs. Woohoo! We need to crush that at all costs. So, um... Yeah, uh, th this is this is uh, in fact a melodrama. Uh, by the way, I'm coming in as somebody who really was never into anime, so I, I watched an anime for the purpose of trying to figure out what the hell you weird people are talking about. And um, I got this one. This is this is near the end of the movie, right at the the climax of the plot. And I I was the thing going running through my mind the whole time was uh, what they need is is a mustachioed, top-hatted villain tying someone to a railroad track. Uh-huh. Shinji. Yes, ma'am. We're going to entrust you with all the energy produced in Japan, with our hope, all humanity's future, and the future of all living things that have survived. It's all up to you now. Go for it. Yes, ma'am. Oh, boy. No, that was... All, wait a minute. That was the original cast. All of the cast. energy in Japan. That, was it? Well, that was Spike, Spike Spencer. Is, that was Spike Spencer as Shinji in the original Matsuro Katsuragi, which is Allison Keith. That was okay. the, that, that I I thought you were listening to the Netflix dub, and I got distracted. That, oh. that was the ADV. Cast. I got this one off of Amazon. Yeah, it's the ADV cast. Okay. Well, I guarantee it's not the original Japanese because I understood that. <laughs> no, no, it was it was localized well, in the '90s I've, with that cast, and that's I've what got, everyone uh, loves. I've got, now, now this this next one is pretty long, so you can tell me not to play it. It's about fifty seconds. Just do it. But uh, on the topic of things I don't understand, um, this one I pulled out of. It was a long sequence, and I cut some of the ones that weren't, so it is edited. But I, I have this one titled "Techno Babble." <laughs> Positron cannon pre-firing sequence. Stage one power connection. Roger. Connecting circuits with primary and secondary substations. Increasing frequency modulation capacity Woo. to 65 gigawatts. Confirmation systems ready. Districts 1 through 803, enable transmission power line. Voltage stable. Maintain grid frequency at 50 hertz. Begin stage 2 power connection. All cooling systems are operational. Stage 3 power connection. Maintain maximum allowable power transmission voltage. That's the regular Energizer bunny there. It keeps going and going and going. Okay, I edited that from, it was about a three-minute sequence that was all phrases like that, and I tried <laughs> to cut it down, and there was just too much stuff I couldn't pull out, but I didn't edit it that much. Yeah. And so, uh, increasing frequency modulation capacity to 55 gigawatts. Yeah, you gotta get that deviation. <laughs> I don't know what that means. 
maintain maximum allowable power transmission voltage. Yeah, they got to shoot what they sh- uh, they're shooting the uh the uh rhomboid looking Ramiel yeah. the uh the blue there was diamond so- thing. Something right? about an intake over voltage I didn't understand. But right at the end, my favorite line from that whole clip was final safety device disabled. Woo! That's how you know you're doing it good. <laughs> yeah, good yeah, we know it's working if you <laughs> disable all your final safety devices. Oh, man. So, so my review of this particular movie was, uh, uh, let's see, in my notes, I have a review. Oh, not enough anime titties. Um, but there was some when the two EVA, uh, Ava pilots have their obligatory sex scene. So that happened. Um, but it was, it was a very brief shot of only a, a couple seconds of uh, yeah, anime titties. Uh, and then there was brief side boob later when she's been blown up and her uniform is all thrashed. Oh, yeah. So, um, Oh, that was it, Ray. That was, uh, Ray one, I think. Yeah. And then Ray two shows up later. Oh, there's more than one. Cause there was only one in this movie. Oh, she's a clone of his mom and it's a weird Freudian thing. It's complicated. Oh, oh, good. <laughs> we just spoil like gets, the next three, four, or four movies. You don't want to watch those, man. The remakes. <laughs> I don't, I don't, <laughs> you I, don't. I, I watched this one and I'm like, okay, that was, I mean, I, I get it. The story is, is slightly, uh, it's kind of interesting. It's like, uh, you're, oh, oh, what's the, the monomyth? Uh, the hero of a thousand faces. Yeah. The boy uh, of a thousand Campbell. faces, right? Yeah. It, it's, it's the, the Campbell's hero journey uh, it, with a, a Japanese bent then put through Google translate. And, and there was plenty to laugh at, but I, I recognized the hero's journey. So at least they, they built it correctly. And there were definitely lots of scenes of buildings exploding and huge, <laughs> a completely unreasonably large energy releases that really should have, vaporized all the people watching and and the, the you know the science didn't add up and no. but it was flashy it was interesting and it was cartoon so i guess that's what people want in anime oh yeah okay <laughs> i mean uh, what do you mean to lie to you or something that's what they want no i get it <laughs> no no that was part of uh evangelion's always been one of my favorites i'm not a fan of the the movies but the the 90s series was was absolutely great i'll say that i, I Either way, I will I will put it up as one of the best animes I've ever seen. How about that? Oh yeah. And how many animes have you seen? Not very many. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> oh man. I only had some sad news. I've been watching uh, uh oh. Strike Witches, waiting for that new Studio Shaft is gonna be animating a new uh Strike Witches uh show, and it was supposed to come out this fall, but it looks like it's gonna be delayed. Um it looked like the one of the uh, actresses has suddenly retired for undisclosed health reasons. And it seems like they're trying to recast or something for the show because they delayed the whole series to next year. Uh, it was supposed to air okay. coming up in, I presume October, but they, they just delayed the whole okay, thing. So I'm question. I, I, actresses. So like you're, you're talking for about somebody with a very high screechy voice who Aren't they interchangeable? I mean, can you tell the difference if you just swap a new one in? I just named the ones on the dub. Wait, yeah, you can tell. <laughs> yeah, I guess you did. <laughs> you, okay. you can I tell. Uh, yeah, if you're I into it. I guess if you're a dedicated weeb, you can tell. So, yeah, if they re- Now, the thing about this is all the characters are kind of new characters, so no one's ever heard them before. So they can just watch... Until they air the first episode, no one's going to notice. But, because uh, these are characters I, that have been you know, in the books, but they've never been voiced, you know? I, I don't know if we'll ever find out, but I would bet that 85% of listeners wouldn't even be able to tell 
if you switched out. Uh, the percentage would be even higher if you switched out on a season break. I completely disagree. There are some pretty iconic voices out there. If you get into if you get into anime and start watching, you'll start noticing when you have the high paid, you know, A list actresses start showing up. You hear them, like you'll start if, if recognizing. If, oh, that's if her they're again, speaking you know? stilted. If they're speaking stilted bullshit lines like I just played, then I I, I don't know. Would I? <laughs> I I mean I would. <laughs> okay, I'm just saying. I, okay, you know what? I'm I'm gonna I I don't judge. I mean, there's people, there's been people who spent their whole damn career, like, who's the girl who plays, um, she played, like, a character named Rin in Fate Stay, a game, it was a video game called Fate Stay Night in, like, 2003, okay? And in this, it's been remade so many damn times and re-released, and every time they do it, they, they change a little bit, they redo the voice, so there's scenes that she's done like every three years in her career she goes and <laughs> rereads the same script and made a career out of it uh because they you know they want to do the xbox 360 version then they need the ds version or whatever you know hey that, it's good handheld, work you know? if you can get it oh, oh we're gonna do extra scenes this time and then they had a series of movies then two, four years later there's another series of movies they've been playing the same damn characters for decades hey, i'll give a I'll give a massive thumbs up to any actor or actress who can who can make steady work out of that sort of thing. You know what? Go. J you you found something you like to do and you're good at. M make it work. Japan has a I remake problem. They they just keep making the same story over and over and over. Like those Evangelion movies you watched. Those are just remakes from yeah. the 90s. And they're going to remake them again in, a, in, in six so, years, you know? So, so what you're saying is they have a reproducibility problem just like the academic studies. They don't just remake them, though. They remake them with the same cast and script. They just they literally <laughs> remake them. It's okay. the same do, shit. Like, do they redraw know? it? Yeah, so they redraw this, it. This, okay, I, I sure. I uh, okay. You know what? I'm gonna go is, back to if they can make money on it, then yeah, go do that. This is this is the medium that had the endless eight, which I I used to joke about this on the show, um, which was a season of. A, a show that came out it's a little sci-fi high school kind of um comedy show and in the book that it was based off there's i think there was a chapter or maybe half a chapter where they get stuck in a time loop and it's sort of a gag like he gets in he realizes i might be in a time loop and he gets out and it's it's just like that and he talks to one of the uh the the alien girl in there and she's yes uh we've been in this loop for three million five hundred sixty five <laughs> and it's like a joke that they that they've been in it for so long and it just took that long for them to finally figure it out in the show yeah. they made eight episodes that were identical well they weren't like that <laughs> they took the same thing the same events and they made eight episodes and so for two I, months they did the same damn episode they redrew it they actually and, had and you could, slight differences, like the bathing suits were a different color. Or this one yeah. scene, she she's eating ice cream, and then the next and week you don't she's even eating frozen to, yogurt. You know, it's but and and for most of the lines, you don't even have to call the actors mm. back in because you just keep <laughs> reusing the same audio. It's, it's I, this is something you Japan know, did on 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 broadcast but this TV. Isn't it was just a Japan. Hit. This isn't just Japan and this isn't just anime. Like I, I, I did think back to uh, one area that, that I probably shouldn't spend so much time in, which is video games ah. where uh, Activision is or not. Is it Activision? One, Activision. Anyway, somebody is, is putting out the same call of duty game every single year and people are buying it up. Like it's going out of style. They, they sell, they put out the same game 
with slightly different gun models and uh, a few textures different and and maybe uh, a, a single a couple different single player maps and otherwise exactly the same gameplay same game same everything they're just churning out another one and they sell millions of copies and make uh, hundreds of millions of dollars churning out the same thing every year and if you can do that it's a hell of a racket why wouldn't you yeah. If these anime studios are making money putting the same thing out over and over again, that's not on the studios. They've found a business model that works. It's on the fans. Yeah. There's like, why are you buying the same thing over and over again? Suckers like me keep watching it, man. Yeah. Well, no, there, a, there you go. It, it's a business model. They found a, a natural resource to exploit. Yeah, uh, well. Or, or look at sports. The NFL puts oh, out yeah. exactly the same entertainment product every single year. Yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, yeah. Well, it's so feeling. Uh, what, what do we else? What do we got here? We had a little podcast uh, rundown. We yep. got a hog story. Had an episode they that came out of. Geez, I didn't. You know what I didn't do before the show? I completely you lost my. Listen to it. No, I listened to it, but I didn't get the episode number. <laughs> I usually type that in. Oh, uh, the episode number is two hundred sixteen. Head condition. Head condition. Yeah, I listened to it live, so I didn't have a number or a. Uh, <laughs> Or a, uh, what was it? A title. So that was title, fun. Yes. Uh, then behind the schemes, behind the screams, uh, they had. Screams, yeah. The squeams. Squeams. Uh, that came on right after, so I listened to that the same night. Fun yeah, show. I, I actually, I did listen to that one. I actually, I listened to the Hog Story one too. I always yeah. listen to the Hog Story. I just don't always listen live because, well, because I've got better things to do. Oh, um, behind the schemes. The one takeaway that I had from that show was that Lavish made a bold prediction, and we'll find out if it comes true. His prediction was that crypto will either go up or will go down. <gasps> so it can't stay the same. Yes. So Lavish is entirely wrong if the crypto stays steady, which means I hope he wasn't making this prediction out about, about a stable coin. <laughs> oh, geez. Well, we'll see. Time will tell. It's already blowing up. Uh, what, what's the BTC price right now? BTC USD. Oh, it's back down to 46. Wait a minute. It crashed again. It was up over 50 uh, earlier. Oh, it's back on sale again. Don't need you. By the end of the show, it'll be back over 50 again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll see what happens. Uh, uh, let's see what, what did I listen to? Um, I, I listened to the second episode of planet rage with, uh, Larry and, and some, some, some other, other guy. guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, where, uh, I gotta say it, uh, the, fr the first episode I was concerned, but the second one, they lived up to their name. They actually brought some rage. Larry was really fired up about a couple things in this one. And, and when you get Larry fired up, he, he can really, I mean, he, he doesn't just, bring the inarticulate screaming, which yeah, they play a lot of fantastic clips about that. But um, Larry keeps his head and just starts cutting and cutting and cutting. And it's, it's a work of art. It's uh, uh, awesome to behold. So um, I did really enjoy that one, which was a big departure from the first episode of planet rage, which was the, the most calm and serene discussion about rage that I've ever even seen. I thought that these people needed crumpets and, and some, uh, you know, antidepressants or something. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, I listened to some of the first one there. It was a little bit of a, uh, it was, uh, maybe a more of a therapy session than a, uh, than a rage yeah. vest. Well, and I'm a not going to use the phrase. 
I'm not going to use the phrase snooze fest for their first episode, but uh, let's just say the second one brought rage. And I, I approve. I appreciate that. All right. All right. So you get one of these. Good job. There you go. Good job. All right. Uh, we ready to wrap this baby up. Be respectful of everyone's time. Get the fuck out of here. I'll take um, that. I'll take yeah. that as a yes. Yeah, I think I'm done. <laughs> Launch Ava. Oh, thank you. It's too bad Tiffany Grant wasn't in that movie. She doesn't show up till the next one. Ah, well. Till next time, I've been Abel Kirby. And I've been Ryan Bemrose. Catch y'all later. Don't you know everybody tell me she wasn't satisfied?